Well, like I told the kids, we're, we finished up Galatians, and now we're going to move into another series. This is going to be a little different than I normally do. We're not going to be going through a book of the Bible, but we're going to be looking at the topic of worship a little bit. And, and I'll, actually, I'm going to explain this series a little bit more later, but just so you kind of know, we're going to be jumping around and covering, looking at different portions of the Bible. Um, and this morning... We're going to be in the book of Revelation, and so we'll talk about that a little bit too. And it's a long Bible reading. It's two full chapters. They're short chapters, but it's two full chapters. And initially I was only going to focus on five, and then I thought, I just can't. They go together. They're, they're one whole thing. So we're going to read both chapters and then dive into it. So Revelation 4 and through the end of chapter 5. Oh, and before I read this, here's what I always like to say. If we're, we're getting into the book of Revelation a little bit today. And the easy thing for us to do is get caught up in all of the symbols and say, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? And kind of miss the big picture of it. And so I, I'm going to encourage you, don't fall into the temptation of like, well, why did he say that, Jewel? What's a trumpet about? No, just, just get the big picture of what's going on. Because actually, if we get the whole big picture of what's being said here, it's actually easy to understand what John's trying to do. And the details are important, but today we're not looking at the details. Today we're looking at the big picture. So just try to soak in what John's writing here. He writes, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones, and seated on them were twenty-four elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder, before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders Fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth 
or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Don't weep! See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. So over the last few months, we've been encouraging our church to get out and talk to people, right? Just go out, have conversations with people, build, build relationships, talk to them. And eventually those relationships lead maybe to t- opportunities to share the gospel with them, right? And, and I was thinking this week that as we're out there talking to people and you get into a conversation with them, it might come to the point where you say, well, I go to Faith Community Church. And then imagine that they would ask you, oh, what's your church all about? And then would you have an answer for that? What would you say? Like, what's your church all about? And it's, it's an interesting question for us to ask because it kind of forces us to kind of start thinking about what's, what is central to us? What makes our church our church? What, why, are, why are we we? Or why, you know, who are we and what are we doing here, right? And so we start asking that question. And that's one of the questions. You know, I've been here now over a year, which is really weird. It seems like it's only been a few months, but it's here we are. It's over a year, and I've been here, and I've been asking that question over and over. Who are we as a church, and, and who is God calling us to be? And it's not the first time this church has done that. Actually, um, when you guys put together a pastor profile to call a pastor, you put together a document of saying, here's who we are as a church, and here's who we, who we think God is calling us to be. And it was about four pages long, and I read that before I came here. And actually, I printed those four pages off, folded it up, and stuck it in my journal, and I read that regularly for the last year just to kind of figure out who are we and and what is God calling us to do or who is he calling us to be. And even Larry Meyer, as as he was here, he was kind of helping, and he summarized that four pages 
down into one page. I don't know if you guys remember that. He, he summarized it into a one-page statement and then used the acronym WELCOME to try to help guide us in who are we as a church and who has God called us to be. And so I have Larry's one-page summary folded up and stuck in my journal too so I can read through these and keep thinking through it. And, and in doing that, what I've been doing for a while is I've been wanting to take the four-page summary and the one-page summary and kind of boil it down and put it into one sentence, which is really hard to do, by the way. <laughs> and uh, because of one sentence is easy for us to kind of remember and grab hold of, something that we can just kind of grab hold of and say, that's who we are, and this is what we're called to do, and, and here's what's going to guide us in that. And so I, I put together a sentence, I brought it to council, and council said, yeah, that sounds like what we're trying to do here. And so... What we're going to do is we're going to spend a little time walking through this statement because um, anytime you try to summarize the entire identity and purpose of a church into one sentence, there's a lot of meaning packed in every single word, right? And we want to understand that fully. So we're going to spend time working through it. But here's, here's kind of our statement that I hope will help kind of stick in our brains about who we are and what God has called us to be and do. We're worshiping the triune God in community as a community for the community. And if you're like, huh, some of that is kind of, we'll get there and we'll explain it. And, and so we're going to spend some time looking through each of these elements and just kind of working through that this is who we are to be as a congregation. This is who we want to be. And one of the things that I put together in order to kind of help us walk through this, I put together this study booklet. And so the adult Sunday school class is going to take this study booklet and, and use it um, after church. So after every Sunday, we have an adult Sunday school class that meets in the round table room over there, and they're going to use this. Okay. And so, um, but I also printed a bunch of extra ones. So I, well, I printed 30 copies. So it's not quite enough for every single person to get them. But, you know, 30 was enough to fold and staple. Sandy, you know, she does a lot of work folding and stapling things. And I thought 30 was good enough. So one per household should be enough. But, but it's, so if you, Sunday school, we can work through this or you can take it home and throughout the week look through this. And if you open it up, you can see, um, you'll see all the sermons in the series. And then each sermon, we have a, a, a little layout like this where you can get the base, like this is the summary of the message I'm going to preach that day, a bunch of scripture, more than the scripture that I'm using today to kind of explain it, and then a number of questions to kind of ask yourself to work through a little bit to, to apply it. So these are back where the today devotionals are in that basket. I have them sitting back there. So grab one, take it home, and go through it. And the idea is that we can hopefully take this and, and center what we do and say and who we are as a church around this idea. But it all starts, and what we're talking about today, it all starts with worship. Um, this is one of my favorite quotes, and it causes me to always stand back a little bit. John Piper said, Worship has always been and will always be the ultimate purpose of God in the universe. Just, it always kind of knocks me back, because that's a, that's a pretty all-encompassing statement, Right? This is the purpose of God behind everything he has said and done in all of the world is worship. So if you start to ask, why, why did God create the world? Why did he create the universe so big? The answer at its core would be worship. 
Why did God send His Son to die on a cross to redeem a people for Himself? Worship. Why does God say the things He says? Why does God do things a certain way? Why does He do this and not that? And that is core is worship. And it's kind of hard for us to get a little bit because I think we're in a culture where we've taken the idea of worship and really shrunken it meaning down to a few things. And so it's pretty common if you talk to people and they say, well, we worship on Sunday mornings. I I, I do whatever I kind of do the rest of the week. But just on Sunday mornings, then I come and I worship. I come to a worship service and I worship, but that's the only time I worship. And I'm hoping to broaden that one out a little bit, that worship is much more than what we do here on Sunday mornings. And it's even becoming more and more shrunk down than that. If, as you talk to people, some people say, well, we go to church on Sunday and we worship at the beginning as we sing some songs, but then we listen to a sermon and, and we give some money and, and we're not really worshiping then. We're only worshiping when we sing or if we're driving in the car listening to Christian radio and we're singing our hearts out, then we're worshiping, but nothing else is really worship. And uh, I'm hoping... I'm hoping to broaden that out a little bit. And next week we're going to spend more time looking at the idea that all of life actually is worship. But that's what John's getting at in this passage from Revelation. It's a huge worship event that's happening. And it's not just an event. It happens continually, he says. They're continually worshiping before the throne. And, and it's easy to get caught up and go, man, there's some weird creatures in here. What's that all about? There's, they've got eyes all over their body and eyes under their wings. How does that, how can they fly if they have eyes on their wings, right? And, and you can get into all, what are the seven lamps about? And what are the, and I just want to say, eventually we can get into that. But right now, get this picture in your mind because that's really what John's trying to do. This picture, John says, I'm, I'm here in the Spirit. I was taken from the Spirit. I was taken up into heaven. And the first thing he saw was a throne. And seated on that throne is someone who looks like jewels. Shining and glimmering. There's a whole bunch of different jewels. We could get into what they are. They have meaning. But the point is, this person looks like a jewel as they're standing. They're shimmering and, and shining and glimmering. And, and then around them is a rainbow that looks like a jewel. A rainbow looks like an emerald. So this multicolored thing going on and shimmering and shining going on there. And then around him is this group of other people who are seated on thrones. And, they, and they're wearing white robes and they've got crowns on their heads. And they're, they're from the throne is flashes of lightning and thunder. I mean, there's... An element, if you were there, you would be in awe, but you would be fearful because there's thunder. You know the storm we had this last week where it was rattling your windows the whole time? You know, that's right in front of you. Coming out of this throne, shaking and rattling and flashes of lightning. And then there's these amazing creatures that we can't even fathom in our mind around the throne. And they're continually saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This is our God. It's, a, it's His character. It's who He is. And they're saying that over and over and over again for all of eternity. 
And I always just want to stop. That's the picture he's painting. And I say, what does that do inside your heart? As you're seeing this picture of who God is. Because it's obvious. He's painting this picture of God seated on his throne. This powerful and mighty God. This beautiful and glorious God with all these crazy creatures and thunder and lightning and power and might. And John's painting this picture. He's being given this picture so that it would stir our hearts as we see God as powerful and glorious and beautiful. And, and he even says that the, the elders that are seated on these thrones around him, when they see this picture of who God is, and, and as the living creatures cry out to him and give him glory and honor and thanks to him, it says the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. That as they see this glorious picture of God, their gut reaction is to fall on their faces in worship. That, just take a moment to think about that. That when we truly see God for who He is and all His glory and all His beauty and all His might, deep down that inside our gut should make us want to fall on our faces and worship Him. And that's happening over and over and over for all of eternity. And it's interesting to just think about that idea of falling on our faces before God, because we don't really do that, do we? You can go to other countries and other religions, and they do fall on their face in their worship, but, but we don't do that. But if you were to go open up a concordance and look up worship, and then try to find every instance of worship in your Bible, which is a lot, like 600 or something like that, um, you're going to find that over and over and over again, the, the word that's translated as worship means to fall down on your face before God. So that's the word for worship. And so as we see who God is, this is gut reaction to worship him by falling on our faces before him. And uh, as I was preparing this and I was thinking through it, I was thinking, what are we saying with our body language when we fall down on our face before God? We see God as glorious and beautiful and powerful and mighty. And then you get down on your knees and you fall down at his face. What are you saying with that action? And I think it, it seems to be a response of adoration, right? Like, wow, he's glorious and beautiful. I, I just adore him. It's submission. You are so good and glorious. I just, I'm giving my life to you. I, I am yours, right? Trust, because he's so glorious and mighty and powerful, we just, I trust you. And then there's just a joy, because how joyful, it has to be joyful to follow and submit to a God who's glorious and powerful and mighty. And so, a beginning definition that I want to give us for worship, this isn't it yet, I'm going to add to it, is that worship is a response of adoration, submission, trust, and joy to who God is. So we see who God is, his character, his might, his beauty, his glory. And then we respond and say, that's amazing. We respond and say, I'm yours. We respond and say, I trust you through thick and thin. We respond in joy saying, I am really happy to be following you. I'm joyful to be following you. And that's what the elders do as they worship him. They say, you are worthy, right? They're adoring him. You are worthy, our Lord and God. 
to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being and they're falling down before God, adoring him for his worth and glory. You are worthy to be worshipped. You are worthy for us to give our lives to you. And that's what worship is. And then the image, this vision keeps on going, right? And then John sees in God's hand this scroll. And an elder bellows out over all of creation and says, who's worthy to open the scroll? And there's crickets. No one's worthy. Not a single person in all of creation is worthy to open the scroll. And yet, one of the elders says, and John starts to weep. And the elder says, don't weep, John. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the one who has triumphed, he can open the scroll and we see The Lamb of God who was slain but is not slain any longer. The resurrected Jesus Christ steps onto the scene gloriously, walks up and says, I am worthy to take this scroll. And he he takes the scroll from the hand of God and everything just explodes. All of creation, everything explodes. And it says, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders all fell down on their faces. Before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, right? They, they see Jesus and, and, and everything that he's doing and all of creation just falls on their faces and they begin to worship him. And that comes out in singing. It comes out in submission and trust and all of these things. They fall down on their face and they sing a new song. And the new song is, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. And why is he worthy? Because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. So not only are they worshiping Jesus for who he is, but they're worshiping him for what he has done. That you are worthy because you gave your life. You, you died on that cross to redeem us. You, you sacrificed yourself so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could be made your people and we could, you could establish a kingdom. Because of the work that you've done, we're worshiping you for that. I mean, when we understand the work that Christ has done in our lives, that's got to stir our hearts to adoration, submission, trust, and joy. It's got to overflow out of us in Worship and, and it comes up again just a few verses later. It says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. You just see, end, 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 end. We can't come up with enough words to tell you how great you are and for what you, who you are and what you have done. The chapter ends. He says, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and just in case I missed anything, and all that is in them, singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. End of the chapter. It's a pretty powerful scene. It's, this is our God that we come to worship each morning. This is the God that we serve throughout the week. And we see throughout this chapter that worship is this response. There we are. Worship 
response of adoration, submission, trust, and joy to who God is and what he has done. So it's not just who God is, but it's what he's done. I mean, just think, just think of our prayers that we offered up today. Thank you, God, for saving my grandson. We're worshiping him for what he did. Thank you, God, for blessing my sister. We're worshiping him for what he's done. We're also saying, thank you, God, for being a God who blesses people. Your, your character is just someone who is generous. And so we're worshiping God for who he is. We're adoring him for who he is. And so worship, and, and, I, and I'm laying out this definition because this is going to make, this is going to help in the next few weeks to really lay out this bigger definition of what worship is. It's more than just singing. It's more than just showing up on Sunday mornings. No, it's adoration, submission, trust, and joy to who God is and what he has done in every aspect of our lives. But that's next week, so I'm not going to get into that yet. But to to take it and push this a little bit further, I want to tie in something that Jesus said about worship. because, Because we don't, especially in the CRC, right? We don't use our hands a lot when we worship and we don't move our bodies a lot, right? And you definitely don't see us like getting on our knees and falling on our faces very often. Some churches you will find that. You can go to some charismatic churches and they're down on their hands and and they're falling down and they're dancing and they're moving around and that's not bad and what we're doing is not bad. It's just who we are. That's fine. But but Jesus talks about this as, as he was traveling through Samaria he, he met this woman at a well, right? We know this story about the woman in the well. And, and as he's talking to her, and she uses this to kind of divert the attention away from her sins, because Jesus said, oh, I know you're not married. You have had five different men in the past little bit. She goes, oh, let me ask you a question about worship. <laughs> and so she says, okay, I see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So what's up with that? Which, which place should we worship? And Jesus responds and says, A time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. And so she says, well, should I worship on this mountain or that mountain? Or should I worship... In this church building or that church building? Should I worship in this town? And he says, it's actually not about that. True worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. And to tie it, to say it another way, when you understand that worship is this idea of falling on our faces before God, he says, if you really truly want to fall on your face before God, you will fall on your face before God in spirit and in truth. It's not just about the outward action. It's, it's about what's going on deep down in your spirit and in truth. Because we all know this. The reality is you could, be, you could be down on your knees, falling down on your face, trying to show submission, and yet in your heart, you're rebellious. Right? You know kids that do this. I'll, I'll obey you, doggone it, but I'm not going to like it. And we do that. That's not submission. That's just obedience, Right? And so he says it's not about the outward act. You, you, can, you can be trying, you can put on a happy smile on the outside and say, I'm the joy, joy, joy of the Lord in my heart. And he says, but if it's not really in your spirit, it's not really worship. And he kind of pushes this to a whole nother level, right? We can, 
he, he's showing us that we can even show up on a Sunday morning. We can stand and sing, all hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall, bring forth the royal diadems and crown him Lord of all. We can be saying these worshipful words, but if it's not coming from our spirit, it's not worship. The true worshipers will worship him in spirit and in truth. And, and it means that we can come to church every Sunday diligently. And if it's not flowing out of our spirit, it's not worship. However, when it starts down in our spirit, it will overflow out of our actions. I mean, I, I just naturally, I was as I was going through my sermon, I was thinking about different ways that God has blessed me, and I just went, oh, thank you, Lord. Now, why was that? Why did I put my hands up? Because I'm thanking him, right? It it came out of me. Hey, Lord, thank you. And it came out of my heart, and I said, praise Jesus for what you've done. And it comes out of our actions. We, we, We walk through life, and we see God bless us in a particular way, and all of a sudden a a smile starts to come across your face. And it's because that worship came out of your spirit and then it comes out of your mouth and it comes out of your actions. But this is the ultimate purpose of our church. The ultimate purpose of God in all of the universe is worship. And so that better be the ultimate purpose of our church. If, if this is what God wants, most of all, is worship, and our church becomes about something that's not that, then that's bad. We're not walking in step with God's Word. And so at its core, this church, what we do and who we are, we are to be people who worship the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we are in a community of people where we help people worship God. On Sunday mornings, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and every aspect of our life, we are to be worshipers. And it's really easy to get distracted in that. We've got programs and policies and politics and a whole bunch of other things that start with P that that can get us distracted from what God has called us to do. And we can forget that right at the core of who we are and what we do, that every single thing we do in this church should center around worship, the tri- worshiping the triune God. So that's our goal, to try to make sure that everything we're doing is leading toward this idea that we are worshiping God. Worshiping Him by just adoring Him for who He is. Worshiping Him by submitting our lives to Him, by trusting Him, by just having joy in doing all of those things and who He is and, and what He's done and just centering that around every aspect of our lives. We need the center of our church to be worship. Let's pray. Lord, we come to portions of Scripture like this and have our hearts stirred at who you are and just the beauty and majesty and power of who you are and have our hearts stirred at the work that you've done and we thank you for that and yet we do realize that our hearts are not stirred as much as we should. That our worship needs to grow. 
that we should really fall on our faces before you regularly because of what you've done in our lives and the way that you're working in this world and just because of who you are. So, Father, forgive us for our lack of worship. But we ask you to stir in our hearts that we would truly worship you in spirit and in truth. That your spirit would work in our lives in such a way that our hearts and our spirits would overflow in adoration of you overflow in submission to you and trust and joy that, that all of our lives, that every single aspect of our lives would bring worship to you. Lord, we know that you are the one who can change our hearts, and so we ask you to do that. And help us as a congregation to make this the central thing of our church, the ultimate purpose of everything we say and do. May it be to bring worship to you. We ask this in your name. And all God's people said, Amen.